All right, everybody, welcome back to But Are You Happy with Roger Berry. I have a super, super special guest today, uh, Mr. David Polanski. He is my old geometry teacher from Rocky River High School and truly just a legend in the, uh, in the school system around here. Welcome, Mr. P. We appreciate you coming in. Well, thank you. Thank you, Roger. Um, we brought you in today. I think starting this mental health sort of podcast is important to me, but as somebody who had went through your class and have somebody who knows a little bit about your background, which is very different than what anyone would ever expect it to be. Okay. As far as the neighborhood you grew up in, yes. as far as the only guy I know that's ever fallen out of a car, that's how I learned what a tangent is. Never forgot <laughs> it. Never forgot it, you know what I mean? So I want to talk about some things that you had gone through um, okay. in your career as far as whether it's harassment, good, bad, I mean, whatever it is. I kind of want to touch on everything. So, um, But I'd like to kick things off with your the start of everything for you. Why did you get into teaching? All right, the bottom line is um, when I was a freshman in high school, I was in geometry class, and I remember earlier in the school year, my geometry teacher found me in another class, and he's like, David, after school, our school is getting two computers, and this is 1981, so schools didn't have computers then. Right. And he was like, I want to start a programming club after school. And I was like, heck yeah, I'm game. Because he's like, you're like good at video games and things like that. Right, right. And what kind of video games were you playing back then? Like Space Invaders and yeah. Pac-Man, Astro Invaders. It's all like Atari stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The bottom line is we got these TRS-80 computers and there was like six or seven of us that stayed after school like three days a week. And we sometimes stayed to like 6, 6.30 at night and we like ordered pizza and stuff like that and we learned how to program and I immediately fell in love with programming and um, my parents bought me a Commodore 64 so then I was programming at home. I was really into programming. So um, I know your question dealt with teaching but I thought this was a real incredible thing that this teacher Mr. Evans did for me was and all of us like he literally took time to teach us programming and I thought it was like the best thing ever and I'm like dude you are like so cool all right so anyway <laughs> that's um, awesome by the time my senior year old round our school received like 30 IBM XT computers and they wanted to run a programming course for the students and the two teachers that were really in charge of it weren't really as good as programming as like me and my buddy Joe. So me and my buddy Joe basically designed the whole curriculum for the course. Like here's what the kids should learn and how really? they should learn it. Yeah. So we designed the course. And you're how old? You're like 16? I was a senior then. Okay, so, so yeah, 18, I was 17. Almost, yeah. yeah. So I was 17 years old. Even then I was doing lesson planning and things like that, you know, and a little bit of teaching, you know, I was like in, in the classroom. Oh, you enjoyed it. Yeah, I really, you really did. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. And, you know, I enjoyed um, working with other kids and teaching them things like these are the cool things you could do um, with programming and whatnot. Um, so the bottom line, like after high school, I wasn't sure on even a college plan or whatever. But anyway, I ended up going to college in Cleveland State and I ended up pursuing a career in computer science. And then I worked at a variety of programming jobs for a good 16, 17 years. Uh, but especially the last several years, like I had jobs where 
they wanted me to move to Texas and I got laid off a few times and whatnot. And technology was changing and I knew I either needed to like go back to school to like learn like new technology um, or I just needed to do something else. And um, I told my wife now who, you know, was my fiance at the time, I had like a really bad day at work one day and I'm like, look, I can't do this programming thing anymore and I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to go back to school and become a teacher. And she's like, if that's what you want to do, I think you should do it. I had some money saved, so um, I basically went back to school for two years and become and um, got my teaching certificate and I was looking for a job and the Rocky River job fell into place like right away actually and the superintendent from the Rocky River schools, oh the name is slipping my mind, but anyway he was a Collinwood High School graduate which is where I went to Collinwood. So I wanted to get into that because so you so you your first job teaching was at, at Rocky River. Yes. So, but you grew up in Collinwood, which for those of you who don't know is the middle of the fucking hood. Right yeah. now, I don't know what it was like back then, but I'm fairly certain it wasn't too much different. Yes. Um. So I mean, the bottom line is, um, I went to Cleveland Public Schools until like sixth grade, and then my parents sh put me in Lutheran schools. And I was going to go to Lutheranese, but then I really didn't want to. Um, so I'm like, I'm going to go to Collinwood. And Collinwood High School then was 88% black. And, you know, I'm a skinny little white dude. And let me tell you about my first day of school there. I'm in the hallway. First day of school, it's crowded as hell. And, and by the way, Collinwood has a history of, of like, I believe in the 60s when they tried to do desegregation and they brought black kids into that school there was literally riots and things like that and they had to call in the National Guard to you know protect the black kids coming into that school um, back in the 60s. That's wild. Yeah so um, and, and a lot of the teachers I had taught during that time so they told me about all these stories about like what was going on and um, so now the school was pretty much all black we got a new principal my freshman year, and I believe the prior years before I went there, because my sister went there, there was like all kinds of racial um, troubles there, and white kids were getting beat up and things like that. So it was a scary place. So the bottom line is, my first day of school, the hallways crowded, and I didn't know where the bathroom was, and there was a security guard we had. An actual security guard. That's wild because we didn't even really have security. Right. Not like that. Right. We had several security guards working like on each floor. There was three floors of the school. So there was a security guy on each floor. Wow. And so the security guy on, uh, on the first level, I walked up to him and I'm like, hey, dude, where's the bathroom? And he's like, well, you walk down the hall here and when you smell the reefer, it's in there. Are you serious? Yeah, and I'm like, dude, this is going to be a long four years. Yeah, because you, know? you weren't trying to get high in the bathroom. Right, with right, right. <laughs> I've never done drugs in my life. So you've never smoked? Oh, you've never done any drugs? So I've you've never, never smoked pot ever. I have never done any illegal drugs in my life, and that's easy to tell you why. Because my sister, who's four years older than me, she was a druggie, and, uh -huh. all, and all her friends were druggies, and they would hang out in my basement, and they'd be all crashed out, and and drinking. Do you drink? I drink a little bit occasionally, but, it's but very, very rarely. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, um, you know, I saw all these losers and druggies, and and I was like, I am never going to go down that route. So good for you. Yeah, that that's awesome. So yeah. you got to Rocky River. You um, 
you had started. We'll get back to more college. You have more college questions. Yeah. But you had started in Rocky River. Um, you had got that job. What was your first year as a teacher like? And how old were you? Ballpark? Um, so it was um, 2005, so I would have been about 37. Okay. Or, yeah, 38 years old, yeah. No way. No way. And who... So you, so you, anyways, you start at Rocky River High School, and for those of you that don't know, Mr. P had taken, from even what I saw, I only had him one year for geometry, but people would fuck with you. And, I, and, and for me, I, like the big thing in our class, your voice cracks every once in a while. Yeah. And Scott Iverson, and I, I do, I love Scott Iverson. He's yeah. hilarious. He's a, he really is. He's a great person. But man, I'll never forget. That was like, he, he gives you so much shit, man. And I, we had spoken a little before, and you said, you had students at points for the hazing that they had done. They literally called you and been like, you know. So what was your first year like? Did that, is that when that kind of shit started? Or was it like later down the road? You know, all the stuff that you're bringing up, I'm not going to say I'm not aware of it, but it's like kids are kids, you know, mm -hmm. and, and I accept that kids are kids and they're going to be mean and they're going to say stupid things. We always took it on the chin. And you yeah, right. Super I, right, professional. Exactly. Yeah, that, yeah, I take it on the chin. That's why I asked. That's why I asked because that it, you do. You're 100%. So, so I don't take any offense to, you know, if a kid, you know, makes fun of my voice cracking or whatever. Yeah. It, it's, you know, it's... You know, it's nothing at all. Well, it's crazy because so, you look back now and you're like, wow, I was a fucking asshole. Right. Making fun of well, them. Or, like, because you don't necessarily know. But some, and, and, you know, some people obviously not. Some people suck. But, right. Um, so what was that, anyways, what, let me get back to it. What was that first year then teaching for you? Um, what did it mean to you? And then how did that kind of shape your career as you continued um, in, into teaching? Well, I'll be very honest. I went to Cleveland Public Schools and... I did student teaching in Cleveland Public Schools, and I was never in a suburban school in my life until the day they hired me. So I didn't know what to expect from these kids, you know? Like, like I had the impression that, you know, the kids were gonna be like better behaved and whatnot, and for the most part, they were. In general, I thought the kids were great in general, you know, I mean, you mentioned all the teasing and stuff, but I mean, like I said, that's that was nothing. Oh, the overall, the Rocky River student population, um, they were great kids, you know, and the one thing that I was told about going into Rocky River, and it kind of lived up to it, was some of these kids are they have an entitlement, they, they think they're entitled, and they're not going to work hard, and, you know, they think things are going to get handed to them, and I did see that kind of frequently with some kids, you know, and... Well, you see, like, it's funny now, and it's funny looking back, because I'll tell you what, you do, you grow up around kids with money, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not kids with money, it's their right. parents have money. Right. And they have, uh, and it's not all of them, there's plenty of them, I would say the majority of them that I know... I never got that vibe from them, but at the same time, you're looking at it from a totally different perspective. Right. Where you're able to actually see, hey, listen, this is what's going on. This is, you know, um, you're able to see it from the perspective of, I can tell why you're fucking like that. You know, which has got to be, like, really interesting. Could you almost tell whose parents had money? A little bit, yeah. Yeah, so I believe that. Some kids refuse to work, and I remember, like, we brought in a parent, 
and because like this one kid did no work and the mom sitting there with the guidance counselor and the principal and she's talking about her how her son just plays drums all the time and he doesn't do anything else and the and I'm sitting there thinking like tell the kid to not fucking play drums all the yeah. time be a fucking mom <laughs> That's and, what you have to do. But I couldn't say that. So, of course not. But suddenly the guidance counselor basically said that. She's like, look, you are the parent. Yeah. And you need to like teach your kid some responsibility. And if he's not doing the work, then take away his drums. You know, that could be motivation for him to get to work. Did you like all the coworkers you had at Rocky River? I mean, okay, I'll rephrase that. Because there's no fucking way you can like all of your coworkers. But did you like the majority of them? I liked a good 90% at least. Right. There was only a couple. And you're going to have that. You're not going to like everybody. Right. There's no way. You know, I actually, I enjoyed most of the teachers at Rocky River. I can't say I like hated any teacher particularly. Mm -hmm. um, so when you dealt with as far as like, um, do you think, Growing up in that kind of that rough neighborhood, doing your, you know, student teaching at Cleveland Public, it doesn't get any worse in Cleveland Public, right? I mean, it's, you're not going well, to well, walk in. Well, let me tell you how the world was different. Like, when I was student teacher at Rhodes High School, um, I taught an honors pre-calc class. So these kids were, like, really good at math, but they had some shitty home lives. And this one girl in particular... Um, she was like one of my top students and I would talk to her and she told me that her dad's in prison, her mom is on drugs all the time and d does not function and she has like three younger siblings that she takes care of and she works. So she was working, making money and paying for stuff and basically raising her three younger siblings because her mom's on crack and her dad's in jail. And she was still getting A's in my class. And her mentality was the same as mine. She was like, I got to get out of this place and get on with my life and, and move on and make something out of myself. Because that's how I thought growing up. I got to make something out of myself. Because, um, you know, I don't want to live as a hood rat the rest of my life. And speaking of which, that you mentioned the parents. I had an incident during open house once. The, all the parents are sitting in the room, and this is literally my second year of teaching. And I remember I basically just gave them a rundown on where I came from. I was like, I came from Cleveland Public Schools. I went to Collinwood High School. I was the kicker on the football team. And, and one of the parents... I didn't know you played football. Yes, I was the kicker on the football team. And one of the dads said to me, after I said I went to Collinwood, he's like, and you could read? And you could hear, like, all the parents go, oh, my God, did he really just say that? You know, like... Was that surprising, though, to hear And, that? and uh, like, I was like, like, I wanted to say, like, are you fucking kidding me? That's your, what I your son is, like, the biggest fucking asshole in my <laughs> class. And you're going to talk about reading? That is so funny. So you really did. You've been through the ringer. When did you move out of the hood? Like, what What was that? How different was that for you? It doesn't have to be Bay That's obviously yeah, significant okay. difference. All right, but. so my childhood home, and we're going to talk about this soon, I bet, but um, I graduated high school in 1985, and in 1989, my father 
passed away and I had to move. I then rented a house in Collinwood, so I was still like in the hood. I was even more in the hood because I was like closer to the high school. And I basically lived in that area until 1995. Um, Is it because you didn't know any different? You know what? That That's one thing. I was afraid to go anywhere else. Really? And, and, and by then, Starting in 1991 or 1992, I started my programming career. So, I, you know, I had a job where I was making decent money. I could have afforded to live somewhere else. You're right. But I didn't know. I was like, this is my home. And it was like, I was like, this is my neighborhood. And I, like, walked these streets. And, and, and it was getting worse. But I was blind to it. And I was like, dude, I'm, like, not leaving. And, and literally, I had an incident one time. I went out jogging, and I would I was playing softball. And after softball, I went jogging. And this is in summer of 1995. And I'm jogging down East 156th Street. So I'm a good like two miles away from home. And all of a sudden, I see a group of young African American gentlemen standing on the corners, like five or six of them. And I'm thinking, I don't know, should I jog by them or not, or should I turn around? I was like, I don't want to turn around. Like, this is my hood, man. I'm just gonna run. Yeah. I'm gonna run right past him. Hell yeah! And the one dude like walked up to me. He's like, he's like, yo, brother, what the fuck you doing around here, honky? And next thing I know, there was like three of these motherfuckers chasing me. I believe it. And all of a sudden, then. They're one, of those, they're one of those running shoes you probably had yeah. on, bro. And all of a sudden, dude, it was like fine, misty rain going on. Yeah. So the ground was slightly wet. And I, like, thought for sure I was going to get stabbed, you know? Because people didn't shoot guns then. People, like, stabbed people. So I thought I was going to get stabbed. So I ran right in the middle of the street. I'm running right down the yellow line. Yeah. The double yellow line on East 156th Street. And these three dudes are chasing me. And the one dude was right behind me, yeah, Chicago Bulls. You're pretty fast. I'm very fast. Yeah, you're, for those of you who don't know, Mr. P's fucking fast. Yes. I'm, I, know, I know that to be a fact. I've seen you run. Yes, fast. yes, I beat Kenny Lofton um, <laughs> time running from home to first base. Did you really? my 30th birthday, yes. Did you, like, race against them? No, no, I, they had the time at Wahoo Winterfest. And Kenny Lofton's time was 3.90 seconds, and I ran at 3.88. No and way. I, and, yeah, they told me I was the We're only... We're going to go viral Kenny Lofton. Let's they, see you. I want to I wanna re-race, dude. They, I want you to race Kenny Lofton. we got to hit him up. I've talked to Kenny Lofton about this, and he didn't believe me at first, but I've talked to him several Fuck times. Fuck you, Kenny. Mr. Polanski a liar? No. Let's yeah. rerun this bitch, dude, for sure. I bet you whoop on Kenny now, too. Right. I really do. When you... Um, all right, got to ask this. All right, wait. So, go wait. Ahead. Go, what? Ahead, go ahead. Yeah, I gotta finish this. Oh, story. Yeah, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. So I'm being chased by these dudes, and the dude behind me was—he was like, I was outrunning him, uh, like a little bit, you know. Like I don't think he was gonna catch me. But then there was this dude walking straight towards us, like with a forty ounce in his hand, and the guy <laughs> behind me is like, Yo, Dre. <laughs> Yo, Dre, get this motherfucker. And Dre put down his 40 ounce, and now he's standing right in the middle of the road. And I'm, I'm like running right at him, and the dude's running right behind me. And Dre is standing there, like, ready to tackle me. And I had, like, in my head, I'm like thinking, what am I going to do? Yeah, and in my head, the thing that hit me was Walter Payton. What would Walter Payton do? <laughs> and Walter Payton would, like, Cut left, stop on a dime, and then dip out, and then dip to the right. Yep. 
and I knew the ground was wet. So I knew that if I like stopped on the dime on the left, I had to make sure I had to really hold my footing and not slip. Because if I slipped and fell, the, these mother effers would have Mr. P's always thinking about beat the, the crap out of them angles, you know? Right. So I hit that, and Dre took a dive at me, and I pushed his head down, and I was like, see ya, motherfucker. Dude, I wish we had ring doorbells back then for this, so we could watch this. I would do anything to see this. And I pushed his ass down, and I took off, and I was gone. And... I and I ran so I ran up to the gas station and the Arab guys that ran the gas station let me in and then locked the door and I called the Cleveland police. I love it when you get tight with those gas station attendants. You know what I mean? There's right. not they're nothing like it. Right. You, know, you feel safe. Right. Good. I, well, I used Doesn't to, matter where you are. Yeah, I used to work in the gas station in the hood, so I know oh, all you know, about I think I knew that. Yeah. I think I knew that. Yeah, and well, I got stories about that too, but so anyway, the Cleveland police came like three hours later. And then they told me, Three hours later. yeah, they, that's how long it took. And then they told me, the cop literally said to me, he's like, why the fuck are you out here jogging at right. midnight? And I'm like, dude, this is my hood. He's like, I'm a police officer here, and people are getting shot and killed and stabbed and everything else around here, and you don't want to be out here. And I'm like, whoa. And that was it. And then I remember going to work the next day and telling my buddy at work, and he's like, so why do you still live there? And I'm like, dude, I don't know. That's a good question. <laughs> so so that's what made me move right away. I moved to Lakewood, you know? Oh, that's a that's an upgrade, too. Yeah. That's a big upgrade yeah. for Collinwood, especially. Right. So um, you go through Rocky River, and I kind of touched on the relationships earlier um, that you had out there, but... I wanted to ask you about this, and you don't. I'm not. I'm not looking for like a controversial soundbite here, but I gotta ask because I have an opinion on this. You know, Rocky River two years ago, a year or two ago, whatever it was, there was some issue with a picture, right? Were you at River at the time? No, I, I thought you would. I I left. Okay, good. I left that school a year before the incident happened with the quote picture and the teacher scandal. So I laugh. I laugh because. There is not one fucking person on this whole earth that went to Rocky River High School that heard that Mr. McLaughlin was involved and went, huh, I can't believe it. Not fucking one of us. No one was shocked. Correct. Now, Correct. Toner, Schuler, and McKenna, you should have left them all out of it. That was some bullshit. And I love Gifford. I have never really had an issue with Sam Gifford. Megan Rose, I actually really like... I don't know about the superintendent Mike show, but I'm going to tell you right now. Well, so fuck up Schuler, Toner, and well, Kenneth Greer with that fucking pervert Mike McLaughlin. Well, that's some bullshit. Well, all right. I'm going to keep my opinions about Do your Sam Gifford to myself. <laughs> no, I don't did? want it to get out there. No, you're good. You're good. But we had some issues. All right. So that's all I'm going to say. Um, no, that's good. Um, yeah. And as far as... So, un unfortunately, I know a little bit about this whole scenario because I've talked to some people that were involved. And um, the bottom line is Mr. McLaughlin was, he was always like the prankster and he would always like say shit or just bullshit you. And, and like, and, and I believe Schuler in the, in the famous video said 85% of, no, I think he said like, Listen, there's he, nobody that, there's nobody... Like, he put it at a percent, like... When this first came out, there were no names involved. Yeah. We all fucking knew. There wasn't, it wasn't a question. Okay, right. You know what I'm saying? Like, 
Man, I mean, right. I mean, I swear that well, guy at some point yeah. is damn near going to give yeah. me a reach around in yeah. class, you know? And but yeah, he, you know. Said, he said like eighty five percent of the stuff he said isn't true. It's more like ninety five percent of the stuff he said isn't true. Like he's always pulling legs. So the bottom line is, I believe McLaughlin made up a story about taking a picture of a girl, and he didn't even have a picture of a girl. It was a a picture of something else, but he started this whole thing. And then all the other teachers got thrown into it, and they were all in a group chat. And in their group chat, they let the police look at their group chat because they yeah. wanted to to show their innocence. But that was their downfall because in their group chat, they really criticized the administration because. Um, well, that's it, right? You fuck with the big boys, and then you're in, done. In, in general, the administration the administration is is um, just horrible. They yeah. are horrible people, and so. They came at them hard and I think pretty much it cost them their careers. Literally. And, and that's that's why it's like so sad because I also look at like, you know, we see the conversation between Toner and Schuler. Who, who in their right mind isn't going to go consult somebody before they make right. a decision to, hey, before I go right. burn this dude completely right. here? Right. You know, it wasn't like, yeah. Right. It's like, let's have this dialogue quick because I want to make sure that, you know, I want to, you know, just double check that I'm doing the right thing. Right. But, you know, they, everybody makes it out. And, you know, it was, it was nice, though, being from Rocky River because there, there's nobody really that was, that's from Rocky River that didn't go, these guys, Schuler, McKenna, um, Toner, that weren't, like, totally innocent and all this. We were all, I think everybody pretty much sided with them. But but you know what? When this all went down, I was on the message boards, and like everybody was like, "Oh, you know, they have to report it. You know, they're mandatory reporters, and they didn't report it, and that's their problem." Well, you know what? Um, first of all, they didn't have time to report it. How about they, they, did, they did? Wait, they didn't have time to report it because when that video came out, like the next day. It was public and all this. Yeah. So and and they were already talking. So the way so timeline and they, wise, and they and were they were already discussing about going to report it. So that's what I was going to ask. So timeline wise, this discussion occurred, and then fucking next day before they could even have time. Right. So it's like I'm going to have this dialogue right. to see, and then now right. we're done. And, and and I bet they would have reported it. You know. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, but it might have sure. taken a few days. You know what's because funny is like because you, you don't go just reporting stuff. The minute you hear something. Especially if you don't know it's true. I, right, exactly. And and like I said, half of what, Mc, no, 95% of what McLaughlin says is not true. So, you know, you're not going to just report any BS that he says. Because, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I always, I remember him, and I, don't, I, don't, I never even had him. But and that, that's, how, that's how bad it was, right? Because the reality of it is, is that if you don't even have the dude and you're hearing these stories, you know what I mean? Right. And, you know, you calling girls in, and I'm not going to name names on who they were, right. but I do remember. You know what's funny, too, is the opposite of that was Cisco, okay? Because Cisco, at the time, were in school, younger, good-looking dude, you know what I mean? All these things. And this guy was nothing but professional, kind. Okay, right. You know what I mean? I, I mean, from what I saw, there was never a bad word said about the guy. Mm -hmm. But you walk into McLaughlin's class, it's like you're walking into fucking... And and Cisco, you know, and Cisco, I believe, is now an administrator somewhere. Yeah, and, I think he is. And, and I bet he's a damn good administrator. You know, you're, you're right. And damn good administrators are kind of hard to find. So he's just, I, a, he's I just bet, a good yeah, dude. He's a good classic dude. Yeah, right? he is. He's, he's a good dude. So, yeah, I was blown away, obviously, hearing about all that and, and coming up. 
Um, obviously, through Rocky River, kind of shook the school system a little bit there. Um, but yeah, that's crazy. So, anyways, I wanted to say that though. I wanted to get right. off that off the chest. I kind of wanted to say that for everybody because that's what everybody's thinking. I mean, right? Right. I mean, um, so I also have been fortunate enough to have conversations with former classmates and stuff. I want to move on to a new topic uh, about standardized testing. Yes, sir. So. I'm not one of those people that can sit down and take a test and, and do well in it. I'm just not a good test taker, right? What do you think in the school system needs to change in order to accommodate people that maybe suck at taking tests or learn differently? And I think the schools have done a better job of maybe accommodating those people that uh, maybe learn in different ways and being able to learn and show them and teach them differently. But at the end of the day, the test is the same for everybody. Correct. So how, does, how do we change that or what steps need to be taken or what, if not, what's your stance on it? Man, I have a lot of thoughts on this topic and uh, Good and a lot of anger about this topic too. Because Rocky River, the bottom line is they had very high standards. I believe it was like ninety-five to ninety-seven percent of the kids were proficient on their math test. Okay, where the state average is more like fifty-five percent. As a math team, we knew that we had to make sure that these kids passed and. There was like a lot of pressure on us teachers. There was often several teachers teaching the same classes. It was like kind of like a competition. Like you got to make sure that you know the other teachers don't show you up and whatnot. yeah, of course. So, which is funny to hear now because as a as a kid in the school, you would never know that right. this is going on. You know? Right. So when. Mrs. Bernard was the principal. I had a few issues with Mrs. Bernard, but actually looking back, she was not nearly as bad as other administrators. <laughs> so I'm going to toot her horn a little bit here. Mrs. Bernard instituted, she basically told us that whatever kids early in the year that we felt would struggle on state tests, she would put them in a program and they would, you know, go to their seminar and do it like a math help and all this stuff for additional tutoring. Okay. And, and that was a very effective program. I believe it. Because um, most of the kids we put into that program ended up passing. Do you think... And then, well, let me go on. Go then Mr. Winton took over as principal. I never met Mr. Winton. And you are a lucky man. Really? Give me all the shit. I'm all about Mr. Winton. Well. Because you only had him for a couple years, right? He was my principal for four years. Yeah, so, yeah, so a couple years. Okay, and he's the reason why I left. Good. Okay, so anyway, the bottom line is, I believe this was in Winton's maybe third year there. Yeah, it had to be. And we, we still had this tutoring program. I had Algebra 1 kids. I had like f three or four classes of Algebra 1. And for some reason that year, I had some kids that were really low low achievers. I, I had some kids that just refused to do work. I and mean, you can't make them work. Right. It's really hard. And I made a list of like 13 kids that I felt were not going to pass the state test. And I said, these kids need intervention. And we did not run intervention that year. It was not done. And it showed, it showed that six of my students were not proficient. And that's out of like 70 some kids. So, so even though I probably had 91% success rate, 
the fact that six of my kids and the other two Algebra 1 teachers had, I believe, a zero or a one kid, Mr. Winton basically said, I'm going to make some schedule changes for next year because I was scheduled to teach Algebra 1 again. Mm -hmm. And he basically said, I am not teaching Algebra 1. And who was teaching Algebra 1 when you, were, when you had like six kids? You, Miss Delzani? Um, I believe it was me and Miss Stevens and Miss Pelger. Stevens and Pelger, okay. I forgot Mrs. Pelger was a... Yes, so basically Winton came into our math department meeting and also some of the geometry students, their test scores were low. So he, he basically told the math department, I'm going to make some teacher schedule changes. And he took away algebra from me. He took away geometry from Mr. Schuster. And Schuster teaches honors. I was going to say he took geometry. Yes, and Schuster is like a math genius, okay? That man is a god. And um, another he, great teacher. Yes, another, really another great teacher. teacher. One, of, one of everybody's favorites. Right. Yeah. Who unfortunately lost his job due to the teacher scandal. Yeah. God. So, anyway, god. the bottom That's line. That's such some bullshit, dude. Exactly. That's sir. some bullshit. The bottom line there is. so many good teachers. The bottom line is, we had our classes taken away from us. And so he was basically telling so, us. Let me wait, he was basically telling me, you're going to teach Algebra 2 because it's not state tested. Right. Because you're not a good enough teacher to, to handle the Algebra 1 kids. And we're going to give all the kids to the other teachers because you're not good enough. And he basically told Schuster that as far as geometry. So basically what happened here is then you essentially had somebody come into the, to the school system, brand new principal. Right. Was this a Shof hire, I'm assuming? Yes. Okay. So it was a Shof guy. Yes. Comes in and he's like... Oh, okay. he sees the scandal and the situation going on. He wants to change things, which everybody, when they, you know, if they're in charge, they want to change a couple things here and there. Okay. But in your opinion, do you think all those teachers that got fired were fired besides McLaughlin, who I think is the guilty party solely, got fired because of the group text regarding the administration versus the other situation? I believe. You, be you I believe, believe that? That was their main downfall, and that's what they put pressure on them. Like, you're never going to work in this school just, again. And then this kind of shit with the testing, obviously, was was already a was already an issue prior to this happening. Yes. Wow, that's unbelievable. It's amazing how it changed for us because you don't see any of the behind the scenes stuff. So, I mean, so going on about my story because you're originally asked about the state testing. Yeah. So. That led to me coming in the following school year a bitter man because I was pissed off. And by the way, they had to give me one Algebra 1 class because there weren't enough teachers to teach all the kids. Okay. However, my Algebra 1 class only had like 13 kids in it. Steven's Algebra 1 class had like 29 in it. So why don't you divvy it up? Exactly. It wasn't even. So it's like... Oh, we only trust you with 13 kids now. When did the beef with him start? Over this? Or was there was there anything else? Like, was that the first bad taste in your mouth? That was my first bad taste okay. with Mr. Wynn. Okay. Although, he basically ran some other teachers out of the building prior to this. And I knew that don't mess with the guy and keep a look. But he's untouchable because he's Shuff's guy. Right, right. Stay down on the radar, right. fly low on the radar, and he'll leave you alone. And that's what I did for like a couple of years. And then all then the then this happened. 
So then, the following school year, I'm already not in a good mood because, alright, they basically gave me four Algebra 2 classes, and then all, um, just one Algebra 1, and oh, and I had this one kid in Algebra 1 who did absolutely nothing, and I was trying to get help from the administration to get this kid to do something, and, and I don't know, they tried some things, but... The bottom line is, um, it, they started like really messing with me, and it was about that time that my mom had a stroke, and she was put in the hospice, and she was going to die, and she was in a hospice for a, a good month before she died, and I would go visit her every single day, and I never missed one day of work until we knew we knew, like, this is the end, right. and my mom's going to die tomorrow, and I took that day off. And, and then after, right after my mom's funeral, things got ridiculous with Mr. Winton, like... How old is this guy? Ballpark. How old is he? Uh, he's probably close to 40. Oh, so he's a younger guy. Yeah, okay. he's younger, yeah. Like, he would send administrations into my room... Admit, uh, like the assistant principals into my room and they would quote write up an evaluation and they would always criticize me for like you know like the dumbest things like I literally had a kid who quote went to use the bathroom and he didn't come back for like 20 minutes and, and That's all your, like how the fuck and, is that your fault and all I did was say to him at the door I'm like where you been and and I was I was written up like I should have had a private conversation with him instead of embarrassing him in front of his classmates. It's like they all saw It's like all his, all his classmates knew he was gone for 20 minutes, okay? Yeah. Um, Classic move. You know what he was probably doing? Probably throwing a fat chew in there, hitting the vape in the bathroom right, or something. Right, <laughs> and, and this other kids, I had these kids sitting in the groups, and this one kid wanted to sit by himself. Like, he did not want to work with anyone else. He was a foreign student. And he just didn't want to. He wanted to do his own work. So he sat at a table by himself. And I was written up saying, oh, this kid felt left out. And it's like, no, he didn't feel left out. Because I asked him if he wanted to join this right. table. And he said, no, I want to sit by myself. You know? There's nothing wrong and with that. And I'm not going to force a kid. Was he a good student? Yes, he was a good student. Then why, would you, why would you mess exactly, with exactly, exactly my point. So all this stuff went on. It just got really bad. I mean, we're here to talk about like mental health and things, and I was already... Well, going, that's where I'm going right well, now. And, well, yeah, wait, exactly, wait, sir. Go ahead. I was already going through some mental health struggles, and I was seeing a therapist you know, every once in a while, and I was talking to this therapist about what was going on in school, and I was like, I can't. I can't even function. I can't even go in there every day. And she's like, you don't have to. And I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, the damage is done and it's unhealthy for you to be there because um, it's a horrible situation. And, and I mean, I don't want to, I, I wasn't going to get into this yet, but I've never been suicidal. I've had some horrible things happen in my life and I had a horrible childhood, but I've never been suicidal. But during those times at Rocky River at the end, man, like, I didn't even want to live. I didn't want to come to work. I didn't want to live. And, and I'm not saying I was suicidal, but no, I mean, those as bad mentally as I have ever been. And my, I appreciate you sharing and, that. And my therapist yeah. saw that, and she's like, I'm going to write you a note, and I will get you out of work the rest of the school year. 
and then you could figure out what you want to do because it was in my contract that if I like take a leave of absence, I have two years to take off if I needed to, right. and then I could come back to my job if I wanted to. So she wrote me that letter, and I handed it in, and my mom died in mid-November, and this was on de about December 3rd. This, oh, so a couple weeks. Literally a couple weeks after my mom died, yes. All right, so I turned in this letter, and they let, you know, they gave me sick time, and I was sitting at home, and I was thinking, I am never going back to that school system. And, I mean, you, you mentioned Sam Gifford. Sam Gifford did some really evil things to me, and um, I, I found out even more after I left. I knew I would never work there again. And I'm like, I'm not going to prolong this. I'm going to hand in my resignation. And so I did immediately, uh, like, like right after that, you know. And I resigned. A weight was lifted off my shoulders. I mean, four years to be with someone, that's, a, that's enough time to fuck, you, to fuck with you, that's right, for sure. Right, but honestly, like even when I started that last school year and I, you know, was had my classes taken away from me, I was just trying to make the best out of it, you know, like, but yeah, then it got really bad really fast, so it did happen really quickly, all this stuff, it, like really quickly. It was like, boom, all of a sudden I'm out of a job. What do you miss the most about River specifically? Well, for one, it was very close to my house, so it, <laughs> it was true. a short commute. Because um, right now, the job I'm at, I drive an hour to go to. So, um, good thing you like driving. Yes, like I said, I don't know. I I really felt the school itself. There was a lot of really good kids. One thing that really impressed me about the school that I did not have when I was in high school was the amount of activities and sports in that school. Like there were so many different sports and there were so many different activities for kids to do. And me being the photographer and taking sports photos, you know, I just felt like, like this is just a cool place to be. Is that your, that's a hobby you have, taking pictures? Yes, sir. How did you figure that out? How, how did that come about? Uh, we'll see. That's an interesting story. So, um, and we gotta start talking about my dad eventually. My dad was a mailman, but his hobby was photography, and he had all this camera gear. And when I was growing up, I never like paid attention to his photography stuff or his cameras. And and he had like this. You know, this is in the 1970s and 80s, so these are all like manual cameras, not like today's cameras. There's like a lot of math behind photography, so I, I don't know why I was never really interested in it when I was young, because there's a lot of math in, in the photography. But when he died in 1989, you do know he committed suicide? I do. Okay, so all his camera stuff was like laying around the house, and... We basically had to move also, that was another thing. So I grabbed it and I remember I was like playing around with it and like, I don't know, I didn't load the film right or something so like nothing worked. So then I just put it away for a few years and it was the final year in 1993 of Cleveland Municipal Stadium. That was my home because my dad worked out there as an usher and that was like my happy place. And I was like so sad to see the Indians were going to move out of this place and I needed to capture it on photography. So that's when I really learned how to get into photography 
during the 1993 season, and I really started doing photography from 93 on, and I've been... Which is like a sweet time to pick it up, too, with like the Indians and how they were. Right. That was a great team. You're... So, so, I mean, the photography, obviously, it it was was more something you stumbled upon for yourself, but your father as well. Right. As a kid, were you super close with your dad? I was, yeah, I, I, yeah, I would say I was, I was very close to my dad because, um, you know, like I said, he worked as an usher for the Indians, so we had a common bond about the Indians and sports in general and the Browns and everything and, and like literally, I mean, I'm about to cry here because one of the last sporting events I ever watched with my dad was game five against the Chicago Bulls where Michael Jordan hit the jumper over Craig Elo to win it. And that, that was like one of the last games I ever watched with my dad because he died in August. And That's crazy. Yeah, I believe that what a was. Great, what's a great last game to watch with him. Yeah. That's so, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. For real. I, really, I appreciate it. I know getting vulnerable can be kind of tough sometimes. You said, you know, for those who don't know Mr. P's father had committed suicide. Where were you? How old were you? All right, so let me, um, yeah, I want to get into the whole topic of, of suicide because um, unfortunately my dad was not the first person that I knew, but I was 22 years old. Let's backtrack a few months. Around the spring in 1989, I remember I came home, I was working at BP, and I came home and there was a note on my door from our neighbors across the street, which I was very close to their kids, but not really their parents. And the note was from their parents. And it talked about how, I don't know, something happened with my dad and he felt like he was gonna commit suicide and he checked himself into a hospital to get some help. And, and the note was just telling me that's where my family was. Because, you know, this is 1989, so we didn't have cell phones. I find out. I remember going to the hospital, and my dad was there, and he was admitted, and he stayed in the hospital for like a week, and we talked, and, and our preacher came to visit him, and, and we all talked things out, like, because my dad was just overwhelmed with, a, like, a lot of things, apparently. You know, we thought we were getting him some help at the hospital, and he came home. And I remember when he came home, I was like, because I was kind of distant from my parents at that point, because I was like in college at the time, so I was like never home, and I worked full time. So imagine a kid going to school full time and working full time. Like I, you know, didn't have a home life. Like I wasn't at home ever. And and when my dad came home, I wanted to like get closer to him, and I wanted, I was scared. I was like, I didn't want to lose him to suicide. So, like, I played on my church softball team, and, and sometimes we needed people. And I'm like, dude, you could still play. He was, you know, 53 years old. And so he played with us. I thought things were going pretty well, and we would go to Indians games. And I remember we went to, there was the kart races at Burke Lakefront Airport. We went to that that summer together. So we were, like, doing things together. We were at a softball game, and we were warming up, and I was playing catch with my dad. We played the game, and I believe the next day, I came home from work or something, and my mom said that dad left the house. They got into a fight, 
and he didn't come home that night. She was like, you should go look for him or whatever. And I'm like thinking, I think he'll be all right or whatever. And I did go look for him. And the next morning I went to work at BP and at like 7.30 a.m. I got a call from my sister crying and she said, dad's in the hospital. And I remember telling my manager, my dad's in the hospital right up the street and I need to leave. And my manager, she actually told me that some other woman was scheduled to come into work. And she's like, well, I got to wait for this other woman to come. And I'm like, I don't think so. I don't think you're hearing me. My dad's in the hospital. I need to leave right now. And I just left. I went to. And I got in the car and I went to the hospital. And my older sister Janet was there. And I got there and she's like, I learned to forget these words. She's like, dad is dead. So now the thing's going through my brain like, did he commit suicide or not? That's the thing. That was the question. And so we met with like a doctor and the doctor there told us that my dad did not commit suicide. Really? Yeah. This is what happened this morning, that morning. They said my dad had a heart attack and he was in his male uniform and he was going to work and he had a heart attack and he was found and they took him to the hospital and he died. That's what we were told by a doctor. And I'm like thinking, I'm upset that my dad just died, but I'm thinking victory, he didn't kill himself. Yeah, 100%. I get that. You know, our family together through that day, mourning his loss or whatever, but we had conversations of like, you know, uh, you know, maybe at least he didn't kill himself. I don't know. It was natural causes and all this. And the bottom line is his car was parked behind Night and Day, which is a place for Alcoholic Anonymous in Euclid, because my dad, um, when he was younger, he was an alcoholic, okay. and he stopped drinking when he had uh, children, so I'd never seen my dad drink in my entire life. My best friend David, his mom, Bernie, she was a wonderful woman. She was like a mother to me. She took me to go get his car. And I got to that car, and the first thing I saw was there was a flat tire. And then I looked at the tire, and the tire was slashed, like somebody slashed it. So now I'm looking at this tire, and I'm like, what the fuck? My dad just fucking died, yeah. and you're going to fuck with his car? Of course. Like, who would do that? Right. And so now I'm mad, and I'm like, all right, I'm going to get the spare out of the, the trunk and put it on. And I did that. I took the spare out, I jacked it up. Yeah, made it happen. I replaced the tire and all that. And then my friend's mom was like, wow, she's like, you're just having a rough end. And I, I get in the car and I could close my eyes and I'll never forget this. I get in the car and in, inside my dad's car, there was literally hundreds of aspirins all over the seat. Oh, so you only got aspirin? All over the seat. And on the passenger seat, there was a legal pad, and it had about seven pages of writing on it. And I just glanced at it, and I saw that it was my dad's suicide note. Yes. He wrote, he wrote a letter basically to the world on why he's doing what he's doing, 
And then he wrote a letter to my mom and my oldest sister, Darlene, the middle sister, Janet, and he wrote a letter to me. So he wrote each of us our own personal letter. And I remember in the letter he wrote me, how much he said he appreciated all the things that I've done recently with him and what a great time he's had. He has a cool son. And, he does. And, you know, and he said, I'm sorry that it's turning out this way. And I don't know, he basically made a list. He's like, you're now the man of the house. And he made a list of things that I needed to do for the house. And Were you mad? I'm glad you asked that. From somebody that, and the reason I asked that is because so, so, I've, I've no. been suicidal before. Yeah. And the reason I asked that is because you're wondering, like, are, are people going to be angry with me? Or, like, is it just pain? Or is it just, like, this combination okay. of both? I don't right. want to find out. Right. But, you know. So, immediately, when all this is going on, no. There was, like, no anger at all. Okay. I was traumatized. And I was in shock. Because I, I went through the whole day saying... The doctor told me he had a heart attack, and he died of natural causes, and now I find this. And I had to call my sisters and tell them, like, I found a suicide note and all this, you know? That was the toughest phone call I ever had to make. And, um, so you asked, was I mad? At that moment, no, I was just traumatized by everything that was going on, okay? But as time has gone on, you know, like months later or even years later, yeah, I, I, there was times where I, w I would get mad. And there was times that I was really mad at my dad for doing what he did. Is and it a feeling of abandonment? What's that? Is it like an abandonment feeling? Or is it like a, fuck you, we're not good enough for you? Or like, what, what, what was, like, what, like if you had, right. and not that it's easy to pinpoint that, but you know what I mean? Like if you had to pinpoint, this is how it made me feel, what was, what was it? Like a description of the anger, I guess. Yeah, a description of the anger. That's a very good question. I was like, I can't fucking believe you did this. Like, um, and you're just going to leave a list for things for me to do. Like, you know. Like here, clean up my yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. you know, like, like the house is being foreclosed and you got to pay it off and all this other stuff. And, and I got to fix the plumbing and, uh, and it's like, really? You're just going to fucking leave and... I just felt it was like cowardly, like, you know, like, like this is not That's a really good word. This, yeah, this is not how you treat your family. Right. You know, this is not how you treat people that love you. And so I was mad about that. I went a good amount of time, like, like I said, this is 1989. So this is a long time ago, 33 years ago now. I was mad for a long time but like recently or you know in the past whatever even 20 years I, I'm no longer really mad at him I learned so much about mental health and and the struggles and other people that have committed suicide and things like that I bet you really empathize with that when it happens because when yes. I mean, when I was, in, I was right. a senior when Micah uh, Lewis killed yeah. himself uh -huh. and um, so he was in your class mm-hmm Yes, and it's yes. Because I remember, and, I mean, that was. A, and then literally, his mom just posted a week ago that you know, celebrating his thirtieth birthday. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, it's the saddest thing ever. And I, you know, I had seen Micah a couple days prior, you know, but I couldn't believe at all when it had happened that I was like, that. I mean, talk about number one, the worst phone call at the time that I had ever received. And then number two, that day at school, 
that first day back. I think it happened on a Sunday. Yeah. And then a Monday was yeah. that night, right? And uh, it, well, it was it coming. Was it was coming out of Christmas, Christmas right? Right. Yeah. And I'll never forget. I mean, that was like the worst day of school. I mean, that was the worst fucking week of school. Yes, you're right. It was horrible. Yeah, it was it just an awful day of school. You're right. And um, so, right. So my anger has subsided with my dad because I've learned about all the mental struggles and, you know, other people that have committed suicide and whatnot. It's like, it's not like I could be mad at everyone. It's like, like a sickness or disease and, and um, it overtakes people. And, and this is um, what happens. I mean, we're on this topic. Do you want some background information sure. on my exposure? to this topic? Yeah, absolutely, 100%. All right, let me go back to my childhood. Um, when I was in high school, like literally ninth grade and 10th grade, I was picked on a lot. I mean, because the bottom line is, is I lived in a horrible house and I was like the dirty kid and, and the kid that always wore the same clothes and, and I was poor and whatnot. I was made fun of for that. In fact, in ninth grade, there was a fire. My dad was working on the van in the driveway and the van completely caught on fire, engulfed, and it caught the side of the house on fire. And our house was literally, my mom was a hoarder. So if you've seen the show Hoarders, yeah, 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 of course. I've watched the show Hoarders and it's hard to watch, but you know what? I'm gonna say my mom's hoarding in some ways was even much worse because we had newspapers just stacked in our house, just newspapers. So could you, I had fears of when I was in high school that I would die in a fire. I was like, I guarantee you. you can't get out. Right, you can't get out. The house is gonna catch on fire and boom, it's gonna go. We were upstairs and my dad's yelling, get out of the house. And so we got out of the house and sure enough, the side of the house caught on fire and firemen showed up and firemen went into our house and they saw our house. And next thing I know, my sister, my older sister, she was, I was in ninth grade, so they were talking about like taking me out of my parents' cusp care. Right. You know. Social services. Yeah, social yeah. services were involved and everything else, and um, because you know our house was not safe to live in. Well, the bottom line is all this made it onto the news, onto the Sun newspaper, which was uh, like the local newspaper that was read by everyone in my high school. And about the hoarding. About the hoarding and everything. Every single details. Are, kids are not kind, so no. they, they picked on me more for that, you know? So I had a lot of problems, even in my mental health, like, I was not in a good place. Um, you were in survival mode, it sounds like. I was in survival mode, but the computers were my key to my life. It was my happiness and I was programming and, and that's what I focused in on. By the time 11th grade hit, basically my high school literally turned around once I started playing football. I was now on the football team and I was like a cool kid now, you know? Yeah. Even a little bit before, I was pretty good at basketball, so you know, I, I gained a little- You know, I've seen I gained a little, too. Yeah, I gained a little respect. Um, so I gained some respect from the yeah, boys. Yeah, you know, eleventh, twelfth grade, I was pretty popular, and and I was on the football team, and I, I was like our good chess player in the chess club and whatnot, and so high school was kind of fun then. But that's what changed for you. 
Because like, so you so you're going through hell, 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 hell. But then like, it seems like at some point you find computers, you find football, you find right. There's that camaraderie right. with with the team or with the with the computer that you found. You find like kind of a safe place. Right. But my senior year, literally our last regular season football game. We were playing John Hay, yeah. and like the winner was going to go to the city championship game, and it was like a 0-0 game, and, and we tried very few field goals because we were always like way ahead or way behind. Right. Or, um, but anyway, the bottom line is um, I missed two field goals that game. That's... And, and one of them, I'm going to say, wasn't really my fault. It was a bad snap, and, but, but uh, the one was definitely my fault. And, and Did you do it like the Ohio State kicker the other day? It, it, it was... Yeah, it was not. Yeah, it was. It was, it was not a good kick. But anyway, so <laughs> so the bottom line is, it is not a good kick. Yeah, the bottom line, we ended up winning the game still seven nothing. Okay. But I was down on myself for missing these kicks. Like mm -hmm. you know, like yeah. this is my job, dude. And 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 even some of my teammates kind of like gave me a hard time. You know, that like was one impact on my life that really brought me down. But you know what? I like picked myself up and and I'm like, this is not gonna affect me. Alright, so where I'm going here is I never felt suicidal. Like, even during all those times, even after missing kicks and whatever, or a horrible childhood, or the house on fire, or in all, all in the news, it never occurred to me that killing myself was an option. It just never occurred to me. Like, I didn't even think that was an option. I, I didn't think people did that. Right. Okay? I. I it never crossed my mind. And I was telling you earlier about my sister and, and she, all her druggy friends. And so therefore, every guy my sister got involved with was like a fucking loser and a druggy and an asshole. Yeah. And I didn't like any of them. <clears throat> a couple years after high school, she got involved with this guy named Doug. And Doug worked as a cook and he was a good guy. And, and my sister, like it literally turned her life around too because she stopped using drugs and she was like working yeah she was all about duck right she, and she was well, she was straightening out her life she knew that she had to grow up and and um she dropped out of high school her senior year but shortly after that she went and got her ged so she was getting her life in order and this guy doug was i thought like the best thing ever he was a nice guy i remember once my family got a flat tire and it was like fucking negative five degrees outside and he's out there and, Sounds like I, I did, and lug nuts were stuck on the car and he somehow changed the tire and and I remember him talking about how cold he was and but he he was just a nice guy and he was he was just a genuine nice guy. Well, one day I hear my sister and him break up. And I didn't know why. I'm like, why would you break up with him? And I don't know. And they were like sort of seeing each other then or not really. Right. But they weren't really seeing each other. But once in a while, I don't know. But they broke up. And one time, I'm at home, phone rings. And it's Doug. And he's like, is Janet there? And I'm like, no, she's not here. And he's like, oh, okay. And I'm like, all right, see you later. And then he's like, wait. He's like, wait. And I'm like, what? He's like, David. He's like, you're a very smart guy. And I'm like, okay. He's like, I want you to make sure that you stay in school, in college, you know, and finish what you're doing because you're really good with computers and whatnot. And he's like, you're going to make something out of yourself. And I'm like, okay. And he's like, all right, see ya. And he hung up. And I thought that was a really weird phone call. Why is he telling me this? 
the next day, I hear that Doug jumped to his death from like the 20th floor of an apartment building in Euclid. He literally jumped right after he called me. I was the last one. I was the last person to talk to him. And he was telling me all the great things I could do in my life. And look what you did, though. But here's my question, too. And I, and I, and I, I got to ask this. When with, you've gone through multiple suicides, you've grown up in an, an extremely difficult environment, no matter who you are, what you seems to be your most vulnerable moment, or maybe your weakest moment, for lack of a better word, would be when you left Rocky River, right? That was... So let me ask you something. Does that, do you think that that's because how much work and how much you've dedicated to not only just yourself and what you love to do, but the students? I mean, like, that's your passion. That's what you are all about. So was that, was that, was that like, just exceptionally insulting to you at that point? Is that, what you, is that what you think drove you to those thoughts? Or do you think it was all of these things culminating? Well, my therapist... My therapist at the time, because I told her about all these life struggles, she basically told me, what you're going through right now is nothing compared to what you have gone through. She's like, this is nothing. You will come out on top. And she basically, you know, kept my head in the game like, like, you're right. This is nothing. The shit I've gone through earlier in my life was much worse than this. In one part of my brain, I'm like laughing it off. Everything that's happening, you know, I'm like, what bullshit's going to happen today? Oh, that's that's funny, yeah. Because you your, bad, your bad day's real different right. than everybody else. Yeah, I get that. So get that. it's like, whatever. You can't do anything to me. Like, you know, I'm stronger. That's awesome, though, that you have that mentality. Because if you don't have that mentality, you have to have that mentality. I think especially in today's society, right? I mean, you... People are brutal, man. You know, and it takes... It's its one thing to be a real motherfucker on Facebook. It's a totally different ballgame when you can either, you know, like this, sit in front of a camera, have a dialogue, right. or that's just who you are as a person. Because everyone wants to get a little gangster on the internet, and then it comes time to face up and, and you know, have this conversation or whatever, and not everybody will do it. I think for you, too, especially, not only do I really, really appreciate you sharing with that, that with me, I... I would have never known. And I already was blown away about a lot of things that I already did know about you. I think I'm really impressed, too, with the whole Kenny Lofton thing. That was <laughs> me away. But um, the fact that you, even when you did have those thoughts, whatever reason that you had them, that you overcame them, and you probably look back now and you're like, you know, I just took the correct, step, correct steps to get there. Correct. That's awesome. Well, I wanted to just expand on this topic. That's what I wanted to, yeah, that's what about, I wanted to. All right, so anyway, I think my sister told me, she's like, Doug jumped to his death, and I did not even tell her that he called. I can't do it. I never told her. Oh, and by the way, my sister was pregnant with Doug's child. My nephew, Sean, is Doug's son. Sean is just a wonderful young man. I don't even think he knows these details about his father that last night. I remember, this is relatively recently, like in the past five years, I had a conversation with my sister and I mentioned that he called. And she's like, I didn't know that. And I'm like, it's haunted me ever since. I believe it. It's haunted me. So Doug literally was the first person that I knew personally that committed suicide. Unfortunately, I became aware of many others. Like, there was this girl I dated. Her name was Beatrice. This was probably around maybe a year before my father died. I don't know. We lost touch. But somehow I 
it was my friend's mom kind of hooked us up and she's like hey that girl was asking about you and can you give her a call and I did and we ended up meeting she lived in Akron at the time and I drove down to Akron and we hung out and I don't know it, it was okay you know and um then I said goodbye and whatever and then the Everything happened with my dad, and it was like um, maybe a year later, I heard from my friend's mom that she also committed suicide. And these are all people you grew up with. Yeah. The 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 Dave one is unbelievable. It seems like you really cared about him too. You know, it seemed like you guys you really had a fondness of 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 him. You've gone through three suicides. Well. I mean, by the age of, like, 22? Yeah. Is that everybody? As far as, like, people you were close with? No. Really? Who else? The details are, are skipping me right now, but... Well, you're going to take time. The, there was, like, a boy in my neighborhood. I didn't really know him that well, but I heard he died, like, in his garage, but, like, his moped was running, and, I don't know, he like filled it with fumes. Side. Yeah. So they suspected that was a suicide. As I became older, when my daughter was born in 2005, my wife was in a group of moms, new moms, and they had like what was called the babysitting co-op and they would like share babysitting duties. But there was this one girl that was like my daughter's best friend and she lives, lived two streets over and she was my daughter's best friend for years. She had two older sisters my daughter is maybe around the age of like fifth, sixth grade, maybe okay. maybe seventh grade, and she's still friends with this girl, although they're not super close friends anymore. The oldest daughter in this family, her name's Olivia, I believe, was a junior at Bay High School. She had some mental health struggles and in fact talked to her mom about it and was really scared that she was going to commit suicide and her mom really helped guide her and they even like got her a therapy dog and all these things and I remember telling Olivia's mom whose name is Sally I was like, I kind of want to talk to Olivia about mental health and suicide and stuff I've gone through. Because everybody knows it's you. Yeah. Look um, at that. Unfortunately, I never had that chance. I, and I did see Olivia several times, and I would always wish her well and ask how she's doing and whatnot. The bottom line is, I remember one day, I'm in my living room, and suddenly my wife tells me, she's like, you're not going to believe this. I'm like, what? She's like... Olivia committed suicide last night. I think the scary thing too, because you, know, you, never, you never know when people say, oh, I'm okay, or I'm doing good, it's good to see you. That's not usually, all, you know, not, not usually. Right. That's not always, you know, and you right. can't tell, you gotta, if you, you know, you gotta check on people. Yeah. That's crazy. And this was before Micah, so. Um, oh, really? Yes. Oh, it, yeah, okay, okay. It was several years before Micah. So, there's a tree planted outside of Bay Village High School, right by the entrance, and that's a memorial tree for Olivia, and I go to that tree and I touch it and hug it all the time, every time I go into Bay High School. The bottom line is, it has really affected my daughter. My daughter has been traumatized by Olivia's death, and, and my daughter has some serious 
mental health issues. And in fact, she's been hospitalized because she has an intense anxiety. Like when school started, it was just too much for her and her brain just shuts down and she can't function. I don't think my daughter is really depressed or suicidal. Although she has some serious mental um, struggles, where she has struggled, and and she, and she is um, still, you know, getting help with that. What are your What are your thoughts? This is, good. this is I'm glad you said this. So thank you for saying that, and thank you for sharing that, because I'm going to lead this into some. What are your thoughts on medication? Because I took 20 milligrams of Lexapro for. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, I took 10 milligrams of Lexapro for a couple years. No, not a couple years. Maybe, yeah, maybe a couple years. Maybe like a year and a half, two years, whatever. But took a couple milligrams, 10 milligrams, and then I was still like feeling like shit, just not feeling right. And so, with that being said, I'm not on them anymore. Am I recent? drug and alcohol raging hiatus i stopped taking them and that was probably may eight now probably sooner than that probably april um i don't like them i feel i feel like me when i'm not doing that stuff i feel you know like i just feel half as creative okay so like i want to hear this because you obviously have an opinion well i don't know if it's obvious but um when I was going through what I was going through, at the end of my tenure at Rocky River, I was prescribed some medication. I believe it was like Zoloft or something. Okay. And I would, I was told it will help me. And I took it, and to be honest, it made me feel real calm. It was like really weird. I felt really calm. Yeah. Um, but the problem was, it didn't sit well with my stomach, and, and I had some digestive problems because of it. Like, I was basically... Crapping my pants and stuff really? like that. Yeah. And I mean, and some I'm, people have different side effects. I had, a, right. I had a roommate that was like so frustrated that she's like, I'm, I'm gaining weight. And for me at the time, it was the opposite. I lost a fuck ton of weight. Mm-hmm. Or the, you're, you know, it's just, everybody so, has different things. So because of these side effects, I'm like, I can't do this. Like, and, and I didn't take it that long, probably only a, a few weeks, like three weeks, I'm guessing. And I was like, I just can't, I can't take it. I can't do it because, and it felt me, it made me feel weird too. Like, like I felt like I was just floating around and I, I don't know. I, I, I didn't feel like I was totally in control, you know, of my emotions and everything else. Like, you know, I just felt like I was floating around and, and I didn't want to live like that. I, I felt weird. I went off the medication. Haven't looked back. So, um, although I know my my daughter takes some medication, and we've often had to like change her dose or even her medication because she had side effects and whatnot. Like currently, we think she's doing much better. So I don't know. I I believe you know medications can help some people. You know. Yeah, I, the, I agree. The, the trick is you know yeah you gotta find the right ones and it's it's a big experiment and. Um, it's scary, so... Um, I appreciate you saying all those things. Uh, where do we leave off? You asked me on a scale of 1 to 10. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I don't know if I want to answer that.